Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. You're listening to the College Info Geek Podcast, where it's all about learning more, paying off your student debt, landing your dream job, and being awesome at college. Now, here's your host, Thomas Frank. College hackers, what is up? Also, I'll give another shout out to crackers, any slackers out there, chat room yackers, and if uh, you got that reference, then, well, you're probably chilling 9 to 5 at Hewlett Packard. Also, if you did get that reference, let me know, and if you didn't, I will let you know what it is at the end of the episode. But anyway, welcome back to the College Info Geek Podcast, the show that teaches you how to be more awesome at college. And today, on episode 31, we're tackling the topic of strengthening your mind, of increasing your ability to focus and work better and be less distracted. And to do that, on this episode, we're going to explore the topic of meditation and mindfulness. And before you go thinking that I'm trying to connect with my spirit animal here or anything weird and zen-like or anything, you know, uh, not very concrete like that, remember that it's me. I'm a rationalist. I'm interested in science. I'm interested in what's practical. So think of this episode as an exploration of the concept that your mind is part of your body. And like any other part of your body, it needs to be exercised. So we're going to explore how meditation exercises can help strengthen your mind and strengthen your ability to use it better for your work. And to do that, I'm bringing on my friend Tony Stubblebein, the founder of Lyft, which is an amazing app for iPhone, Android, web, whatever, that helps you build better habits. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while now, you'll know that Tony has been on the show before, back in episode 16, talking about building better habits. And now he and one of his uh, co-founders over at Lyft, Aaron, are writing a book called The Strongest Mind in the Room about practical meditation and how it can help you become a better performer in whatever it is that you do for a living, probably studying for you right now, but in the future, it may be being a CEO, it may be being a programmer, it may be, you know, whatever, something, something weird, whatever it is, it can help you out. And you can find the book and get a free chapter of it over at book.lift.do. But in this episode, you're going to get a lot of the content that's in it and learn how you can use practical meditation to improve your own working life. And I've actually been using some of the tips I've learned from this interview with Tony to help my own workout. Uh, and it's actually been really helpful because as a blogger and a podcaster and a video person and a coder and a designer and all these different things, I've got a million things going on in my head at once. And I can hardly ever focus on one thing without getting a new idea. So I found that trying to meditate for like five minutes a day has really made a difference in my ability to focus and clear my head as I start my workday. So that's what you're going to learn in this interview with Tony. But first, if you have questions about college, I would like to let you know that every single month, me and my roommate Martin do a Q&A episode on the podcast where we pick a video game, we play it. He's usually better than me. That's fine. And while we play, we answer five 
listener questions. So if you've got a question on being better at studying, being more productive or getting an internship, how to impress recruiters and interviewers or uh, maybe managing your money and paying off your debt faster, whatever your college questions may be, I want to hear them. I want to answer them for you personally through email. And I also want to get them answered in depth through conversation on the Q&A episodes we do. So if you've got a question, email it to me. I'm Thomas at collegeinfogeek.com. And we'll get those questions answered on the show. All right, next segment, we have our resources of the week. Every single week, I want to bring you one tool that can improve your life in some way and also a learning resource that can enlighten you. And this week's feature tool is called Study Blue. Now, Study Blue is a website and app for uh, Android, for iPhone, for everything you can think of. And it helps you build smart flashcards that help you study better. And the cool thing about StudyBlue that I like is that you can actually integrate Evernote with StudyBlue. So if you take your notes in Evernote like I did as a student and still do as a professional, whatever you call me, um, you can turn those those notes into studying uh, into flashcards and then study from them. And I think StudyBlue also integrates some space repetition concepts. It shows you the things you need to study right when you need to study them. So definitely check it out. It's a great tool and run by great people who love students. Um, this So this week's featured learning resource is, well, it actually could be anything, really. This week's learning resource isn't any particular thing to read or listen to or experience. Rather, it's a strategy that I've been using for years to get better at what I do. And I want to share it with you now, and I'll probably explore it more deeply in the future. But I just want to mention it now because I've been thinking about it. The strategy is this study from people who are doing great things in the field that you want to become good in. And what I mean by that is this identify the people in your field uh, and look at what they're doing. Study the techniques they use. Study the little tiny details that they've added in. And I'll give you an example. So I am getting into video more. And if actually, if you want to see the videos I've been making, you can go over to my YouTube channel, collegeinfogeek.com slash videos will redirect you there. And uh, every single week I'm making a new video now and I'm trying to get better. I want to get better at making videos and I want to increase my skills in all these different aspects, lighting, camera presence, audio, editing, uh, special effects, whatever. I'm going to get good at it. And to do that, I'm watching people who are good. So I subscribe to probably 150 channels on YouTube now. I'm subscribed to people like John Tron, Cat Icarus, uh, peanut butter gamer, all these gaming channels that I, uh, I love gaming. So I watch these channels, but I also love the way they edit their videos. And I try to study the little tiny things they do. Like where do they get that graphic, the little pointer graphic, or how do they do that transition? Where do they get those sound effects? Those kind of things. It's also a technique I used very heavily in redesigning my website. I looked at the work of other people. I really, really liked this website's awesome. I love the sidebar design here. I love the menu design here. What plugin are they using? I'm going to inspect element and look at the code, all that kind of stuff. That will increase your skills so fast because you can see exactly what the people uh, that you admire are doing, and then you can learn from that. You can integrate that into your own skill set and your own work, and you'll get better faster. So that's my learning resource for the week. Nothing specific, but it's something that you should try to integrate into your life. It will make you better at what you want to do. All right, so now we have our listener tip of the week. 
During each episode of this podcast, I want to feature a tip from a listener on doing better in school or landing jobs and internships or mastering your money. One of those three topics. And if you have a tip and want to feature it on the show, you can email it to me at that same email address, thomas at collegeinvogeek.com. And I will feature it on the show and also feature your name, uh, Twitter or website or whatever you would like me to give a shout out to. And this week's tick tip comes from Cheryl Curland, and she's from the relationshipinsider.com, which is a website where she offers relationship advice, and it's good, so go check it out. And her tip is on landing an internship. Offer to do something for a company that they don't already have available and, of course, that you would like to do. Fill a need that they don't have anyone doing. Social media is a good pocket to target, for example. Um, she says, I wanted to add healthcare writing to my resume so I could break into this lucrative profession. So I volunteered to write marketing materials for a nonprofit organization, which basically was that I created my own internship through that. And the organization was delighted to have me on board, to say the least, because they didn't have anyone doing that. So actually, I really agree with this tip. And I've been thinking lately, if I wasn't doing College Info Geek, what would I do? What sort of job would I go get? Because I do so many different things. And I think the conclusion that I'd come to is if I wanted to go work for a different company, I would not apply for a specific job. I would rather pitch a company on the things I could do for them using my skill set. I would be great at making videos, making podcasts, writing things, basically a content marketing position, but more creative. And I would just identify an organization that didn't already have that, that was kind of lacking um, that sort of skill set in their organization. And I would offer myself up and and create new things for them, create new opportunities. So I love that tip, Cheryl. Thank you so much for providing it. And uh, if you, dear listener, have another tip, then send it in. All right. So lastly, to finish this intro off, if you are getting a lot out of the show, if you're finding it useful, then I would love it if you went and subscribed on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Not only will you get every week's uh, episode right onto the device you've listened to, but it'll also help get the show bumping up in the rankings, which helps get it out to more students. So subscribe and you can find the subscribe link along with quotes, along with links to things we mentioned in the episode and all sorts of other cool stuff in the show notes, which can be found at sigpodcast.com, cigpodcast.com. It's just my convenient little redirect to the podcast page on the College Info Geek main site, which I actually redesigned a little bit. So check it out. And if you look for the episode 31 listing, click on that and you'll get those show notes along with the subscribe link. So that is it. Let us get into this interview with Tony Stubblebein from Lyft. All right. Welcome to the show, Tony. Well, uh, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. This is my second time. Yeah, I think you're the, the first repeat guest on the show. Besides oh my for my roommate, Martin. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's good to have you back. And so you and your coworker, Aaron. Now, she is she like a co-founder or is she working for you? Yeah, I mean, she's just, uh, I'm the founder, and okay. uh, then there's a team that works here, and she's been uh, um, really our lead researcher. It's sort of funny, like Lyft, we think of ourselves as basically a performance coaching app, but the but along the way, we have all of these lessons that we learn and we want to share with people, and so she's the one that kind of created that program, and she does, leads a lot of our, our research. Cool. So you two, you wrote this book. It's called The Strongest Mind in the Room, right? Yeah. It's a, you know, what it comes from is I never heard anyone talk about how to train mental strength. Like, mm. you know, I've been an athlete for a long time. I spent a lot of time in the gym. I know how lifting weights ends up helping uh, a lot of things that you might do athletically. 
sort of the, just this core foundational strength. But no one talks about doing the same for uh, for your mind. And we started running into uh, really, really uh, like aggressively uh, sort of aggressive performers who were saying that they were meditating, which like just blew my mind because I think of meditation as something that comes from, you know, the seventies, like it's some spiritual practice. Yeah. And then, you know, you meet like a hedge fund manager who's like, you know, trying to make hundreds of millions of dollars a year for himself say the secret is that I meditate and, um, Hmm. you hear it from athletes. Uh, I talked to, uh, you know, I asked Daryl Morey, who's the general manager of the Houston Rockets, if if anyone on the team meditated. And he's like, "Yeah, a bunch of people are meditators here." And um, and so, you know, what's that about? And so, this was our research project. Is Aaron and I thought like it's so interesting that this is going on, and uh, you know, and that we had to look into it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. So before we like dive into the research, can we get like a definition of what meditation is? Like, is it strictly sitting like cross-legged and just like having nothing going on? Or are there like different interpretations of meditation and different ways you can do it? Yeah, there's dozens of interpretations. There's a characteristic of the meditation that we really care about, which is that it it exercises your awareness and control of mental focus. So we sort of, we talk about a default meditation, which is really common, a mindfulness meditation around uh, breathing. So generally um, in this sort of meditation, I mean, this is a sort of meditation, like if, if you've ever seen the Calm app or the Headspace app, a lot of the mm-hmm. top meditation apps, this is essentially what they're teaching you. And in this meditation, uh, you focus on your breath. You breathe in, you breathe out. Maybe you count each breath. Uh, a lot of times you like count to 10 and then repeat. So it's breathe in, one, breathe out, two, breathe in, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, start over again. And, uh, and a lot of people who come to meditation, they think, okay, if I do this, I'm going to have a completely calm mind and I will be focused and my mind and and I will you know, keep my focus on the, my breath the whole time. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, and this is the whole like sort of uh, gotcha with meditation, is that your mind wanders. Everyone's mind wanders. You could be 10 years into meditation and you're counting your breaths and then suddenly you're thinking about what you're going to have for lunch. Right? Like that happens to everyone. And that, it turns out also that that's really good news because when you catch your mind wandering, that's a form of a, you're practicing awareness. Like normally we don't think a lot about what's going on in our head. But, when, in, but in this exercise, you're like, oh, my mind has wandered. That's interesting. Now I'm aware of what's going on in my head. And okay. now that I'm aware, can I exercise control over my focus? So, all right, I might stop thinking about lunch for a second. I might go back to my breath. Okay. And then you breathe a little bit more. And then next thing you're like, you're thinking about, you know, what, uh, you know, what you're going to say in class today or, you know, uh, what, uh, what you're going to write about, you know, and then you're like, Oh, I'm thinking about a project that's coming up for me this afternoon. I've caught myself again. No, no shame. No, you know, it's not bad. This is actually good that your mind wanders. Uh, but now that you've caught it, bring it back. And so mm-hmm. that exercise that you could, I mean, you could think of it as like doing the bench press, right? Like how yeah. many reps, 
right? And how many times does your mind wander and how many times do you bring it back to your focus? And okay. uh, the more you repeat that, the more that you kind of have built this generalizable strength of being aware of what's going on in your head and then uh, make and then and then having you know bringing your thoughts to where you actually want them to be. This sounds similar to some of the reading I've done on rationality uh-huh. where like uh, there's some writing on like less wrong where he talks about trying to notice when you're confused or when some piece of uh, information doesn't match up with your model of reality and saying, okay, there's an incongruency. Now I need to figure out like which one is wrong, what I believe or like this piece of information I've just learned. And I've noticed that like trying to deliberately do this has made me better at rational thinking. So it seems that this is a very similar concept where you would become a more clear focused thinker when you're. Yeah. So this is, a, this. this is a category we'd call it cognitive bias. Like we all mm. have the, um, there's a ton of biases and once, and there's actually this giant pattern of cognitive biases that we all know. And some of them are more common than the other than others. So, you know, like the sunk cost fallacy, this idea that you're committed to something because you've spent, you've already put a lot of effort into it. <laughs> yeah. But you know, the reality is like the, the work that you still have to do is going to cost you more than the value you're going to get back. So it's a bad decision to move forward mm-hmm. but because of the sunk cost, you're sort of locked into it. So that's like a, a bias that a lot of people know. And when you train yourself for awareness, you can like, you can start to be like, Oh, Am I just committed to this because I'm having this sunk cost bias? And then once you become aware, you say, well, you know what? I might force, I might give up. I might, this is not for me. I've mm. caught my bias. I don't have to do it. And, um, uh, and so, yeah, totally. In this world, you know, so in that book that you read, Less Wrong, I mean, he tells you how to fix the bias, but he doesn't tell you how to be good at catching your biases. And that's meditation. Well, I think that was actually, it might've been the other way around. Cause I think what he was telling you is like, be deliberately watching out for those instances and yeah. catch it. So it is, it's, I think it's sort of like a melding with, with meditation. It's almost like the same concept where you're trying to catch yourself and you're not worried about being focused on one thing all the time more than you are about being able to catch yourself when you're not. Right. Right. Um, and so just like that's one of a dozen examples that we found is actually that cognitive bias example is the one that's attractive to uh, hedge fund managers where they're managing a ton of money mm. and they're making these bets and they want those bets to be done rationally. They right. don't want their own kind of emotional or human frailties to get in the way of it. And so they want to be really aware of uh, you know, of their, their emotional state. Yeah. That's a, so I mean, I, would, I don't know if you've actually looked into this, but I would be curious to see like uh, performance data from hedge fund managers who do this versus those who don't, or maybe the same hedge fund manager who started to do this versus when he didn't. Well, part of the reason, reason we wanted to write this book is so that it would be okay for like really macho people to say that they meditate. You know, meditation still carries this, uh, you know, this connotation of spirituality that cause, causes a lot of people to either not try it or um, not talk about it. Right. And, 
And it's just like, it's just not the case. I mean, spirit, like spirituality is a, like a really fine way, fine reason to pick up meditation. It has a really long history in the meditation community, uh, certainly a much bigger history, I think, than performance, but uh, perfectly okay to come at it from a performance standpoint too. Um, you know, actually we talked to, um, talked to a, a meditation teacher out here about the book and um, I said, you know, I, I just want to get your feedback on this thing. And he goes, well, kind of sounds like the dark side, and, <laughs> you know, cause it is, it's like meditation for a really selfish goal. Mm-hmm. And, but because he's a meditator, he was able to give me his honest opinion, but then reflect on where that opinion was coming from and where he ended up going pretty quickly is this debate in the meditation and mindfulness community right now about whether or not it's okay to teach, uh, mindfulness practices. So mindfulness would be sort of this umbrella over meditation, uh, mindfulness practices to the U S military. So like on the one hand you have this really like, I mean, you know, stereotypically peaceful, loving, warm, compassionate community, right. uh, Who the military, the U S military has come to and said, Hey, we think that you could, you have a skill that, you know, our soldiers would, could really use. And, you know, cause so much like, I mean, the, that's just like, um, uh, investing military decisions or something where you really want to be free of cognitive bias. Right. Right. Like, I mean, how hard, I mean, you're sending people into harm's way. Right. And sometimes that is the right decision and you have to be able to make a rational decision there. And so half of the, the mindfulness community has just basically said, there's no way we don't want to make more efficient killers. Right. Like that's the, the dark side. But the other half of the, uh, of the mindfulness community is like, wouldn't you want more self, the, like the people in the military to be more self-aware? Of course you would. Right. And, um, and so it's, they've actually started, uh, doing this teaching and, uh, you know, I imagine it's going quite well. Interesting. I would think that, you know, rather than making more efficient killers, you're simply making more conscientious soldiers yes. who might avoid it in the future. Exactly. That's a great way to say it. It's like one half thinks you're making more efficient killers. The other half make, thinks you're making more con- conscientious soldiers. Right. And, um, uh, and you know, there's, there, but the thing is that we wanted to get in the, out with the book is that conscientiousness is not weakness, right? Right. There's strength in it. And, um, you know, in that way, I think hedge fund managers are a really good, good example, um, in that, you know, they're really able to perform better in their jobs by, by having this, but it's actually, it's a skill that, you know, we all could use, Mm. um, including, you know, for, for studying, like I wish, I wish I was this uh, calm, centered, and aware of my own thought processes when I was in school. I think uh, I, I don't even care about my grades being higher. I just think it would have been less painful. Yeah, like, definitely. Imagine if if I had done the same amount of studying, but it had been easy. <laughs> you know, right? Like <laughs> that's just that all the time. Yeah, we were talking beforehand about you know like procrastination and and writing papers and like my thing was I just I couldn't get going on the paper until 2 a.m. right and so it's like I mean so I basically wrote every paper in four hours between 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. 
And I just wish that I had written all those papers in the afternoon and gotten a full night's sleep. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I, I didn't, they didn't need to be eight hour papers. It still could have been four hour papers, but why, why put myself through that? Yeah, for sure. So I, I would love to talk about the, uh, the effects on your procrastination and productivity. But first, um, one thing that came to mind is like, how has this affected your ability to deal better with like personal relationships? Uh, um, well, people trigger your emotions like nothing else, right? Exactly. And you don't, and you don't have time to, uh, um, I mean, and you're right there, you know, they're right mm -hmm. there. You don't have time to like go away and think about it for a little bit. And, uh, and so, um, you know, that there's a book out right now, thinking fast and slow. Yeah. And I got about a hundred pages into it. But the concept comes up pretty quickly. Yep. And so the, you know, just roughly there's sort of two major modes of thinking. One mm -hmm. is fast and very instinctual and one is slow, effortful and very rational. And so right. it's like just that idea that thinking rationally take is slow and takes effort. Just like is not the situation you find yourself in when you're talking to someone. Yeah. So right? I guess, just, um, what I got from the book is that your system one, the fast one, yeah. it comes up with an intuitive answer to any situation immediately it, it takes whatever facts it has and then it tries to create a hole from it even though there's probably a lot of assumptions it leaps to but your system too has the ability to catch it before it does something right right so and, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could in that world say really say meditation is about training system too mm -hmm. it's like it really building up awareness of what um what system one might be doing Right. And so then when you catch it doing something you don't want it to be doing, you just slow down and uh, uh, and you know, put the effort into a system to style response. Exactly. I do, I do that all the time. Like since my meditation is so breath focused, sometimes I'll just take a deep breath, like one deep breath. You know, I feel like I have all these micro meditations every day that are, you know, if I catch myself going in a different direction, it's just like take a breath, right. Come back, come back to where I need to be right here. And, um, uh, yeah. So I don't know what, uh, what are the personal relationships that are going on in college? It's like dating is really, yeah. so that's the fraught. one that, that really comes to mind for me. Cause I know that before I started learning about rationality and system two and system one, all these things, and you, you think that these are, these are dispassionate subjects. That yeah. they are separated from the emotional like romance of dating, but they're not. And because dating isn't always like um, like super happy fun times, there are times when you get in fights and you want to like have a witty retort. And before I started learning about all this stuff, like I would say the witty retort, right? I, yeah. I would say the thing that it, it's going to hurt your girlfriend, but in the moment you're like, "Ooh, I I really got you right there." And now it's like I really regret every time I said I said anything like that because. Now you think, what's the actual value that you hold dear in a relationship? Well, it's your intimate relationship with that person. It's the happiness of that person and yourself. Right. And saying the mean thing is not ever going to help that. No, it's so, <laughs> uh, I mean, one, just being calmer, right, right is helpful. Uh, but also being aware, why, why is it important to you to say that witty thing? Mm -hmm. And also, I just... I find 
my relationships now are just not, um, not as charged. Uh, I, you know, I'll say like something that someone told me in my twenties about dating is like, you know, once you hit your thirties, dating is so much better because everyone's a much better communicator. Mm. And it's just like, is completely true. Like once you get out of that, like no one knows how to communicate to say what they want or hear the other person. Like once you graduate from that, like just life gets a lot better. And, you know, I've been with my uh, partner, Sarah now for almost 10 years. And even in our relationship, I feel like, yeah, the first four years, I don't think we really understood each other. <laughs> <laughs> but then once we, you know, had gotten older, matured, had, like figured out a lot of things, mm-hmm. you know, it's a lot easier if one of us is kind of annoyed to just step back and go, wait, why am I annoyed? And yeah. how can I, how can I express this without the other person really getting defensive right away? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you just have to take a step back and then same, uh, like, uh, the big question to ask in a fight is why are they upset? Yes. Right? Not why exactly. am I upset, but why are, why is, why is she upset? And if you can get there, um, then, you know, it, it just, it takes a lot of the tension out. It's invaluable. Know? Yeah. I think uh, the greatest thing, like I realized for relationships is that if somebody's mad at you, it's not because they're evil and they <laughs> want you to be sad. It's because they're angry and hurt about something. And they just don't see it the same way you do. I've got bad news for all your listeners is uh, (laughs) that dynamic is more than just relationships. Like once you start working, you're going to like every time a coworker screws you over, you're going to think that person like, why do they have it out for me? Right. (laughs) They're just sitting in their cubicle, rubbing their palms together with their monocle. (laughs) And uh, it was, I remember I was complaining to a coworker, an older coworker once. I was like, you know, these guys, like we're doing some partnership with some other big company. I was like, these guys are morons. They don't fucking get it at all. Like what? Like they're just terrible. Like what's going on? And my coworker said, well, you know, my rule of thumb is that nobody comes to work to do a bad job. Right. And I just thought like, wow, you're probably right. Mm-hmm. And it, that was so, uh, you know, such a pivotal moment for me once I adopted that, um, uh, you know, that sort of mindset, you know, my girlfriend's mission in life is never to make me miserable, right? That's not what she woke up to do. That's um, a good mission. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, that's not, um, you know, my coworkers, right? Like they're just in a bad situation or something is going on for them, but it's not yeah. fundamentally the case, uh, the case for them that they're bad people who are trying willfully to be bad at their jobs. Or often there's just uh, there's like a bug in the communication channel. Mm-hmm. So what I found out recently is that I had several friends growing up that they would text um, very sarcastically when they wouldn't use like smileys. If it was like just a sentence and a punctuation, that means they're being sarcastic and like dry. So I learned to always put lots of emojis in my texts because I wanted to accurately convey my emotions. Uh-huh. And she was the opposite. And she was like, why are you being sarcastic and mean with these <laughs> emojis? And I'm like, no, I'm trying to actually like, I feel like texting is a dry medium. I need to actually put emotions into it, but it's interpreted differently. So there's just all sorts of things that can go wrong in the communication channels that it might not even be anything wrong with either of you, 
That's so true. You just <laughs> like the two of you just got socialized with different norms. Yeah. And so you're like, <laughs> so you're actively being sarcastic to each other. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's terrible. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, um, uh, and it sounds like you work through it. Right. Mm. And, uh, and that's, I think that's an example of mental strength that, you know, you two are building up that you can catch these things and be like, Oh, I see. And, you know, and have, and build awareness around them and kind of control your initial reaction now because you're aware that she's not being sarcastic. She's just has a different standard. Exactly. So, so obviously you weren't doing this meditation thing when you were in college because you were so stressed out with these essays and everything. It's just a disaster. College was a disaster. (laughs) So when did you, when did you actually start getting into it? Um, two or three years ago, two years ago, I guess it would be. Um, I, I like it because it had such an immediate impact and because it, um, uh, it just, it, it can be done in very short stints. You know, Mm -hmm. I tend to meditate for, uh, um, 10 minutes a day. Um, and yes. So it's not like a 30 minute session thing. I had a guy who was interviewing for a job here once uh, tell me he meditates for two hours every day. And I was like, oh, you must be really self-medicating something there. And uh, I don't want him to be around it. You know, like it was just (laughs) like two hours a day. That really seems like a crazy commitment. Um, So I learned to meditate uh, through an app, um, through uh, this uh, app, Calm, calm Mm calm.com. And... um, and then, um, and then through people around me, sometimes I'd have the chance to meditate. I knew people that meditated. And so I always had a guide at the beginning. And what the guide tells you, uh, is like sort of walks you through like, you know, do a body scan. How does your body feel? Close your eyes. What are the sounds around you? Now let's focus on your breath. And the most, at that moment, the most important th- or once you're focusing on your breath, the most important thing the guide does is say, now, has your mind just wandered? That's totally normal. And mm. they have to say that to you over and over and over again, because everyone who starts meditating is expecting to have a completely calm mind. They do right. not come into it with the mindset that their mind is going to wander and then they're going to do repetitions of bringing it back to their breath. And those people, if those people don't get on board with the reality of meditation, which is that your mind wanders all the time, uh, they end up getting really frustrated. Uh, but it, the, the fact is, if you talk to a meditation teacher, there's really no way to do meditation wrong. Right. I mean, if you sit down and attempt the meditation, you've then done it correctly. And uh, so once you're in it, there's no way to, you know, the only wrong way would be to not do it. Okay. Um, and then once I had a kind of a, a habit of what I do within a meditation, then, you know, I can, uh, I can run it myself. I don't need an actual guide. So like this morning I meditated on, um, on the BART, which is the subway that I take into, um, into work every morning. And, uh, you know, I think most people just think I'm sleeping. You know, I close my eyes. Um, you know, I loop my, uh, my arms through the, or, through my backpack so no one like runs off with it. And then, uh, I run, uh, you know, meditation and, you know, of course I'm aware of what stop I'm at, but mostly I'm, 
uh, you know, noticing when my mind has wandered, you know, kind of saying, oh, I'm aware that I'm thinking about this podcast interview that I'm going to do, or yeah. I'm aware that, you know, Apple is making big announcements today. And then I say, um, but, you know, I can deal with that later. And then I bring it back to my breath. So this is something that you don't need like a special space for? Like you don't no. need like a Papasan right. chair or like a yoga yeah, mat? Right. Like how do you sit? Yeah, I mean. You just do it on the bus and yeah, you can do it on the bus. There's actually, you know, I talk, I said there's sort of, you know, there's this characteristics of something that we would call meditative. Um, you know, I think you can do that in a lot of places. I've actually tried to do a full um, meditation uh, while exercising. Like a stationary bike is a good way to do it. Hmm. And and instead of, so the you don't have to focus on your breath. Your breath is just something to focus on okay. that you know you carry with you, right? It's like if you focused on your hat and you forgot to bring your hat, then you'd be screwed. But you right. know that you're going to be breathing, so it's a good thing. But when you're exercising, you could focus on a muscle, you know, like, oh, my thigh is burning or my, you know, my thigh appears to be tired, right? Or, um, you know, like, like, you know, how are you sweating? Like, oh, you know, in the beginning, it's like, oh, my muscles feel tight. Now they feel warm. Right. right. Like you could like really pick something to uh, meditate on other than your breath. And uh, I, you know, I ran a, uh, you know, Lyft has helped 75,000 people meditate. And I ran a meditation uh, group of about 100 people last month. And uh, I gave them uh a challenge to meditate under duress and it was uh, try meditating while taking a cold shower and it's just oh, simply okay. like put your foot in the cold water how does your foot feel then it feel at first it feels cold and then it actually starts to feel warm which is sort of the weird thing about taking a cold shower yeah and then like take your put your whole leg in how does your leg feel now put your torso in how does that feel and just sit with it, you know, with it, each step, sit with it, you know, with your mind and your focus, breathing uh, and focusing on that, you know, that feeling, that sensation that you're having. If your mind wanders, let it wander, but then bring it back to the sensation. And that would be a perfectly acceptable meditation, too. And, uh, you know, but people want, you know, people want a recipe, right? They don't want to have to create all this themselves. And that's right. why you have really explicit Meditations. I did. Uh, I went to the San Francisco Zen Center on uh, Saturday to do a form of meditation called uh, Zazen, and there was an explicit way they wanted us to sit. Um, there was an explicit way they wanted us to hold our hands. We did a little exercise to find the right balance for sitting up straight, uh, where you know we sort of feel the major muscles in our back and try and find the place in which they they relaxed, uh, but. Uh, you know, that's just one of many ways. Hmm. Okay. So do you think that your meditation, like the thing you focus on needs to be sort of mundane? Like say I go and I, I walk every morning and I listen to a podcast, but hmm. like that's active like content. So would that like not be a good, a good way to meditate? I don't think, I don't, I don't think it'd be, Yeah. Because, like, I'm trying to think, like, I don't do any, like, explicit, like, focus on my breathing or focus on muscle or anything. But I do, like, I walk a mile or two every morning and listen to the same podcast. And it does kind of just set me up for the day, at least. Right. Well, I find podcasts 
to be really motivating. Mm. I wouldn't call them meditative because I don't think they have that characteristic of, you know, you have a point of focus. And so it's not so much that it's mundane, it's just that it's simple. Like you have one thing that you're focusing on. Because, you know, when you're listening to a podcast, you're trying to understand it. You're really engaged in it. Right. So, um, I, first of all, I don't think it has the, the full calming effect that meditation sometimes has. Um, there's something actually physically that happens when you're focusing on your breath. Uh, but the other is just like, you know, uh, you just, it's just a, makes it all a little bit more complicated than it needs to be. And, yeah. you know, the, you know, I came to meditation that my understanding of meditation as a, as like weightlifting comes from this world of uh, deliberate practice where you're like taking the skills that you're going to need to that support your bigger goal and really just, you know, finding some way to break them out into something you can really practice, uh, you know, really specifically. And that's why the breath breath focus meditation works. I think it's because it's basically stripped the meditation, strip the practice down to it's, you know, bare bones. Okay. So maybe I should like go to the park with my walk and just like take 10 minutes to stop the podcast, just like sit there or something and focus on breath or something else. I, you know, I'd even do five minutes or just five minutes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, count your breath and, uh, and, and, but be on the lookout for your mind wandering. And when it wanders, you bring it back. I think I'll try that tomorrow then. Right. Yeah. (laughs) That'd be cool. So, uh, so what tangible benefits have you noticed for like yourself since you started doing this? Well, let's talk, can we talk about the procrastination thing? Yeah, sure. All right. So, uh, talking to this researcher in Canada, uh, professor Tim Fickle, and he's a, uh, uh, specializes in procrastination research and what he called procrastination. He said, what it is, is essentially, uh, uh, short-term mood repair and which is like kind of like an academic way of just saying like you kind of like the thing that you're supposed to do next has triggered some small negative mood change in you and so you're avoiding it but Hmm. and so it would be like it's boring like this thing i have to do next is boring like actually literally the next thing i have on my to-do list is um pay some bills. Uh, These bills are like the personal bills. I probably should have paid a long time ago. I got to go pay these bills, right? Uh, I'm not excited to pay these in any way. I don't get any pleasure from doing it. I just know that I want to have done it, right? Yeah. So without any sort of awareness over my um, uh, uh, mental state, you know, I'd get off this podcast and be like, eh, (laughs) right and that's it like that's like it's not you know like um some things you avoid because they're scary as hell right Right. uh it's like um it's like i don't know like you know some neighborhoods you're afraid you're gonna get jumped or like uh you know like i don't uh like when i'm riding my mountain bike there's just some i'm like i'm not ready for that you know right like i might crash if i go that way right and so you avoid it for a really rational reason. But then you also procrastination is what's happening when you're avoiding things for like some really trivial because of some really trivial bad feeling. Yeah. So if you so what Tim 
uh, was talking to us about was that he had started to do research around meditation and procrastination. And he really felt like meditation was a skill that would allow you, it would build a skill that would allow you to overcome procrastination. Because what's normally happening in that procrastination is that that, that feeling, that trivial bad feeling is subconscious. That it, it's not actually, um, you're not like kind of rationally aware of it because it's just sitting under the surface. And um, when you, the second you become rationally aware of it, your like your rational brain has something to work with and it's like pretty easy to overcome right like i'm right. rationally aware of what i want to do next okay and so i can work like i can force myself to do it but without having that um that rational awareness i just there's nothing i can do and um i've heard uh, some people they call it the elephant and the rider like your emotional state is this elephant going wherever the hell it wants. Okay. And every now and then this really weak rider who's sitting on top of the elephant, it's like starts whipping it and says, no, no over here, you know? <laughs> and, and you just like, you have to wake up your rider in order to control yourself. So here's what's really going on when you apply the meditation and the mindfulness skill to it is you say, Oh, I am aware. And in fact, awareness is actually a lot of times when I, when I, when I'm doing an awareness exercise, I put it to words. Like I form a complete sentence in my head. I am aware that I don't, that my next task is doing bills right. and that I'm avoiding it because I think it's going to be boring as hell. Okay. Right? So this is your rational brain is very, um, like works with, uh, concrete, uh, thoughts very well. So like the second you put words to it, you've given, you know, like a concrete object that your rational brain can work with. Like it's definitely putting words to it wakes up the, the rider. And, uh, so now I, there's actually a shot that I will get off this, um, this podcast and go pay bills. It's a little iffy because it's also <laughs> lunchtime for me and Apple just made a big announcement that was like happening as I, as yeah. we started the interview. So I like, there's a little bit like I could easily get sucked in, but I'm a lot more aware of, of it than I normally would be. So procrastination is just this con like beating procrastination is this constant, uh, uh, process of saying, why am I procrastinating on this? Like, what is it that feels so terrible that I don't just do it right now? And then, um, you know, the more you do that, the more opportunities you give yourself to, um, uh, um, to actually work on it. It's sort of like you can eliminate a lot of the mindless procrastination and, um, it, it's ended up being like really kind of powerful for me. Cause it's not like, I know Lyft is, is supposed to be this, you know, like help yourself be this like superhuman person. You know, it's not like I came to that naturally, right? right? Like I have to work like hell for this and I get, and I get so much, and there's so much of my day that is like, con is like chaos and it's constantly changing around me and I'm having to multitask like crazy. Like it's pretty easy for me to be caught up just saying like, Oh, I don't want to do that. I've got something else I could do instead. Right. And, uh, and not really tackling my priorities with any, um, you know, with any conscious, you know, conscious, uh, prioritization. Yeah. 
So that's a good segue because I was going to ask you, like, does this help you out with prioritization? Because for me, it's like paying my bills. I'm like, okay, I can do that easily. But it gets down to I have to write something. I have to clear my email inbox. I have to like help a client with an old web design project. There's like 10 billion things. And like they all just jumble up in my brain, you know, and then you don't know which one to start on until it's like, okay, now this one's due in two hours. Obviously, that's the one you got to do. So I know last time we talked about creating habits and there's something that uh, I started to think a lot more about now, which is almost, you know, the phrase I've been using is, you know, building a habit or like habits are like hydras, you know, like you have this idea that uh, the habit is just one thing and you're just going to build it. But the reality Mm -hmm. is that it's like dozens of things. And I know when you're like breaking a habit, it's like, I, like I'm, I work, I try to break a you know, sweet tooth with bad, you know, I eat way too much sugar, which, okay. you know, really didn't matter that much when I was uh, 18 and running 70 miles a week. Right. But it matters a lot more now. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I'm just like delivering all this bad news for your audience. Uh, uh, like work is just as hard as school. Uh, actually, we said something good about relationships. Those do get better. We did. They get better. Um, I do have a way that helps me with my sweet tooth. If you want to hear it. So um, I have this this concept that I call harm yourself deliberately. And Uh like it sounds really weird. But uh, what I mean by it is that I deliberately choose what I like that's harmful. So for me, it's like I like bourbon a lot. Yeah. And I like gelato a lot. They're great. Like I love those more than anything else that I would normally have. So then I'm never Mm going to like eat a bag of Skittles Right. Or something, because I'm like, well, why do I do this when I could just go have a, a bowl of gelato or something later? You, you know, know we, we'd almost call that, a, you know, a sort of a form of a replacement habit. It's actually hmm. really hard to break habits. And what you want to do instead is find a stronger, different habit to crowd the old habit out. And so, yeah, I mean, you've just said, OK, I'm not going to eat Skittles. I'm going to eat great gelato instead. But because you're, you know, great gelato is not, you know, uh, available at the gas station. Right. Right. That, you know, you end up eating less sugar. Anyway, so it's stuff like, you know, when do I eat sweets? I eat sweets. Uh, if I pass a a Walgreens, (laughs) I mean, you know, right. (laughs) Let's just like, to be completely honest, like if I have a chance, if I'm passing a corner store and I can walk in like that's, I'm at risk right there. That's Mm. the first one to break. Right. Then, uh, uh, then it's, uh, when people at work celebrate their birthday, suddenly there's cupcakes in the office. Um, uh, then whenever I have uh, go out to eat, there's always a dessert course. And so I just like all of those things had to be broken. And I thought I was doing pretty good. I was on a 30-day streak or something like that. And I went to this uh, lecture at this lecture hall in San Francisco. And as I'm walking there, I'm thinking, are they – do they still sell those chocolate chip cookies? And it dawned on me, I actually have a habit of eating a chocolate chip cookie at these lectures that I go to once a year, right? And so how many habits have I not triggered yet? You right. know, like in this year that I've been working on it, that just haven't come up, but are, are in fact habits. So when we talk about prioritization, you know, it's like, one, you have to create the habit of setting priorities. And I did that for myself in a really traditional habit formation way. It's like you want to, you want it to be very regular and you want it to be triggered by something that happens every day. So every day I go to work or five days a week, I go into my office. And when I get to the desk, I, I always have a bag with me 
I put that bag down and I set up my laptop. So putting the bag down is my trigger for writing down priorities for my day. Okay. Like it just like I have that habit, but well, you know, it's also assumed when you set priorities that you actually work towards those priorities. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think we've all had this experience of writing a to-do list and then doing something completely different. Yes. And, um, <laughs> and so that, that's where I feel like, uh, you know, mostly I, we've talked about the awareness aspect of, of meditation being really strong, but I find the control of focus part is really important too. So, uh, you know, I'm going to get interrupted. I'm the most likely person in my company to be interrupted. Right. And when that happens, uh, I need to be able to like take a breath, say, okay, what is it, you know, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing? And then push myself back in that direction. And, um, you know, all studies say multitasking is a terrible idea, right? It's just a productivity killer, but it doesn't mean that you can always avoid it. Mm-hmm. And um, so in no way do I embrace multitasking. I, you know, I often try to schedule uh, my life so that I have as little as possible. Uh, but I have to deal with it uh, way more than I did um, before I was running a company. Right. And, uh, you know, it's like when I was a programmer, Sometimes I, I could go like a whole week without having to talk to someone. Mm-hmm. And uh, that just doesn't happen anymore. So, yeah, I definitely use the control of focus uh, strength that I built up in um, through meditation. Do you, ever, do you ever miss being a programmer? Um, or do you like miss the simplicity of it? The simple life. Yeah. Uh, yeah you know, I think... Uh, People ask that question all the time. I think they, and I'm, and not just of me. I think they ask mm. that question of everyone who's given up programming. And I think what actually happened, what was actually hard, was um, uh, sort of a um, change in like a belief about who I was. So for a long time, I really took a lot of pride in being a programmer and a great programmer. Probably my team, who's actually seen me program, doesn't think think I'm a great programmer but you know like I took it seriously I did write a a book on programming and I was really really focused on being the best programmer that I could be and then I started uh you know started this is my second company so I started you know being an entrepreneur and entrepreneurship is this job that's basically impossible to do well you know you're constantly being asked to do things that you don't know how to do and no one else is going to do it unless you do it And a lot of, and like every decision that doesn't have a clear answer falls on you somehow. Uh, So like Mm. you're just making a lot of mistakes and it's definitely as possible to do this job better than other people do it. But there's really like no way to actually feel like every day you're making one good decision after another. Right. And so when I still thought of myself as a programmer, programming was this thing that was really safe. You know, I was good at it. It was the thing where I could feel like I was good at my job. And it just, it took a while for me to not feel like I needed that, that safety net. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, yeah, I bet probably a lot of the good, of good students who graduate might struggle in their job that way, where it's like, well, hey, you know, six months ago, you were a good student. 
now you're a peon who can't get shit done that no one listens to, right? Right. Like, that's a big switch. And there's the and, lack of feedback, too, right? Right. Like, the objective feedback. Because you right. might get feedback, but it's like... It's, it's this progression from in school you have grades, and they yep. tell you objectively how you did on everything that you had to do. And then you go to a job, and it, there's less, but there's still some. You know, at least the last time I had, like, a, a legit job... I was given assignments and I did them, but now it's like I make the assignments and the right. criteria aren't really well-defined and I do it and I'm like, well, how well did I did it? I, I mean, I guess my business still exists. <laughs> it's growing, right. but you know, you, you have metrics to track, but there's not like objective. Yes, you did a good job. Right. Yeah. That, that's exactly the experience I had. Um, so uh, yeah, so that's my, do I miss programming? At this point, not really. I still do a little bit, but it's not, it's not part of my identity the way it used to be. Right. Okay. So, uh, speaking of all these, like deliberately focusing on the things that matter to you with, with meditation, um, you wanted to talk about accountability partners or just accountability in general. Well, yeah, I, this is, I mean, this is almost like we're dropping the meditation, I think at this point. Okay. Um, I mean, like, I think we've said a lot of what we wanted to say. Right. If, I mean, if people are interested, we are writing a book on this. It's the strongest mind in the room. And there's, you can uh, sign up for free chapters as we write them, actually, if you just go to uh, book.lift.do. Um, and if you sign up, you should get, uh, you know, we'll give you at least one chapter you know, almost immediately. Yeah, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. Cool. So the other thing that we've been working on more recently is around accountability. And so it's like one of the top things that people ask for. And it's one of the like biggest, um, uh, you know, psychological hacks you can play on yourself. So, you know, Lyft started out as a goal tracker and that's really just holding yourself accountable. tracking. Like, did you study every day? Did you, uh, you know, did you go to the gym every day? Did you eat breakfast every day? Like whatever the habits that you're trying to build, uh, if you don't track them, then no one knows whether or not you did them. Like you're going right. to have completely forgotten within a week. And so the point of tracking is to hold yourself accountable to yourself. Uh, a lot of people find that uh, having a third party, like a real human being, hold them accountable is much stronger. And uh, so... We did an experiment with Tim Ferriss, he's the author of The 4-Hour Body. We did a challenge with him. Uh, um, could you abstain from alcohol and some other things for a month? Right. And he, uh, he sent 5,000 people through this challenge. And we offered, for the first time ever, we offered this thing that we're calling accountability coaches. So it was a person to just talk through like, okay, what, you know, what habits do you need to build here? Or, you know, are you still going to go out with your friends? That's great. When you go out, what are you going to drink instead of beer? Right. And, and then check in with you every day, every day. And, um, uh, and so the people really felt like they had someone watching over them, someone who's going to notice if they didn't do their thing. And it was, you know, Traditional coaching is this incredibly um, expensive endeavor, but we were able to get the price down to $15 a week. So if it was something that you really wanted to get done, you were, you know, you'd be able to do it. 
So, uh, you know, the main measure of this challenge was who was going to be able to do it perfectly for 30 days. And the people that had coaches were four times more likely. Wow. So this is, we like our data. And so when we see a, something like that, we're like, we're pretty impressed. Right. And, um, you know, would you pay $15 a week to be four times more successful than you currently are? Yeah. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) And, uh, and that, um, uh, that's what, uh, that's sort of like a big part of the future of Lyft is we're, we keep doing research, but we've started to, um, our, our goal now is to use the Lyft platform to like level it up, make it even more powerful than it currently is and to do that by bringing in, uh, bringing in coaches, people who are subject matter experts in the thing that, you know, in the goal that you have, like Lyft, People in, are using Lyft for more than 200,000 different goals, so an incredibly broad range of goals. Uh, but we think we can get a coach for every one of those goals, basically. And, um, and that could be a person who just checks in with you every day, holds you accountable. Um, you know, we could think of it as action-oriented coaching. Um, you know, probably in college, I was mostly just aware of team coaches, you know, my right. track team had a coach. My basketball team had had a coach. Uh, but when you leave the work, the leave school, you start to see life coaches and productivity coaches and fitness coaches who work with you one on one. And they're all like, you know, they all want to know like, what's your relationship? They're almost like therapists. Like, what's your relationship with your mother? Let's talk for a month, and then maybe you'll change your life. And we've just like Lyft is so action oriented. We've just completely rejected that. The point of our coaching is just to like make sure you take action every day, that you build momentum, and uh, that you know, through momentum, it's really easy to to make you know make changes and to course yeah. correct and you know optimize. Like, no, there's no point optimizing if you don't have momentum. You know, this is such an eighty twenty thing, right? It's like mm-hmm. I, it's better for you to be bad at studying and do that every day than to um, do a month of research on the most effective way to study and then never put that research into effect. Yeah. And that's, I I mean, that's (laughs) the, a lot of optimizers do a lot of research, but not a lot of, um, you know, putting one foot in front of the other and lift the lift mindset's always been the the, the opposite way. It's like, um, if you want to be successful, you have to, uh, you have to come at it with a regular practice. Maybe I should start my book off with uh, take five minutes, identify one problem, work on it for 30 days, put my book down. Don't even read the rest of it for like a month. Right. Then come back to it and read the rest. But not until you do this. (laughs) It is. um, I mean, that would be uh, uh, right. It's like page one is is like, here's what you do. Page two is uh, go do that thing for a month and read no further. Halt. it is, but yeah, you know, a lot of pe- a lot of people do that. This is uh, you know one of the top productivity systems, getting things done. You know, they have this concept of the next action, mm-hmm. right? Like your to do list should be structured in terms of next actions. So your to do list is not, um, you know, it is probably actually in mine. It probably says pay bills, but it, it really should should be uh, pull bills out of my backpack. Right. It's like the right? tiny habits. 
yeah, like once I've done that, then I'm on the course to it, right? Mm-hmm. But with, you know, instead, you know, I might go to my. Uh, this is actually a great example of how procrastination works. So I'll go to my desk. I'll probably look at my to-do list, and I'll say pay bills, and I'll be like, mm, I'm not totally sure what that means. Like what I have to do first. <laughs> And then I'll do something else while I think over what is it that I have to do first. What I have to do first is open my backpack and pull the bills out. Yeah. And, um, you know, the David Allen who wrote Getting Things Done, his observation was that uh, there's a momentum that comes from doing the next action. Like having right. done that first action, you're not going to suddenly be stuck on the second action. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's almost like you get stuck in multitasking uh, and so that's what's so important is to have the next action so that when you switch from one task to the next task, you don't get stuck. But then yeah. once you're in the task, it's really easy, you know, mm. it's great. I'm going to go bill by bill. If it can be paid online, I'm going to pay it online. If it can't be paid online, I'm going to call someone. Right. And, uh, it's just like trivial. Um, so for the gym, like, uh, the, the hardest thing is like getting dressed, you know, and right. getting there. So there, the next action is put gym clothes on. Yeah. Well, once I'm there, I might as well go. Right. Cause I'm sitting around in gym shorts. I, you know, I <laughs> identified for me, um, the major problem that I had was like not having clean gym clothes. Like that was the mm. most likely thing to trip me up. And I'm lucky. I actually have a gym that you can pay a service and the washer gym clothes. Uh, yeah for you, which is like amazing. Um, but, and like one of the, you know, there's a couple luxuries that I've adopted with, you know, now that I have a job mm-hmm. and, uh, that's one of the best ones. Um, that also, and this is, uh, uh, in the future, I would recommend that no one do their own laundry. Uh, yeah. like every one of your listeners who gets a job, <laughs> like find your nearest wash and fold and just give up that part of your life. You know, it's uh, funny. Like you mentioned that the last time we talked, Oh, I did. I, and, I love it. <laughs> so, yeah. And I was like, oh, but I heard about this thing where if you do your laundry, it like, gives you moment, momentum for the day and everything. But you know what I've realized? It's a giant waste of my time. It's giant. a huge waste of my time, especially folding it. And yeah. you know what's sad? There's there's not a place where I live. Like, yeah. I can't. Unless, I guess I could, like, pay a college student to come over to my apartment and do my laundry for me. Do that. Or do something. that. <laughs> uh, hope they don't listen to this podcast. Um, they, uh, so yeah. So anyways, but you know, if I didn't have that service, I would just buy like 20 pairs of workout clothes, mm. you know, like, uh, the, the sports place across that I'm most likely to buy clothes from, they sell uh, gym shorts for two for $25, you know, yeah. like I should never have this situation where I don't have workout clothes. Right. And, uh, um, it's stuff like, uh, I don't know, just like, um, having like always like not getting blocked on trivial, stupid stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and again, I mean, I guess there's an awareness, uh, a mindfulness uh, connection there. It's just like being, being calm enough and that you can be compassionate enough with yourself to say, I failed. Why did I fail? Yeah. And instead of like, fuck, I failed. I'm such a bad person. You say, oh, that's interesting. I failed to go to the gym today. Why is that? Oh, because I don't have clean clothes. That's stupid. You know, like, let me solve that problem. And um, uh, I definitely feel like in the last two years, there's been 
a lot of things that I just like have these epiphanies about because I'm meditating. I'm like, wait, that's, I don't do that because of that. You know, right. like, um, that's dumb. Like I'm blocked on some stupid, dumb, trivial reason. I just was never aware of why. Yeah. It almost seems like there's like this, just this cloud of stressful static around any problem you might have. And when you're going about your daily life, you can't pierce it. So you just say, okay, that's, that's a problem, whatever. But if you meditate, you can actually get through it and say, okay, oh, there it is. Yeah. There's the thing that's hanging up everything else. Right. And it can be super short. The meditations can be super short. You know, uh, there's a lot of app like Lyft has guided meditations inside of it. So I guess I should promote that first. Mm -hmm. But if you just want to meditate, um, I really like the calm app is really simple. Uh, a lot of people like the Headspace app. I think you have to pay at some point, but uh, the first couple are free. Um, any it would you know work really well. Lyft has a how to meditate guide that uh, hopefully we can drop in the show notes. Sure. And um, you know it's like it's the kind of thing where you could just pick up a couple minutes a day, and it w- could make a really big uh, big difference in in your life just in terms of productivity. Um, and you know, mental strength and, and just mindfulness in general. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, after talking to you, I'm going to try that tomorrow morning. I'm going to take a break from my walk in just five minutes in the park. Yeah. I like this quote from the guy who actually started calm. Uh, I think meditation gives you a competitive edge, not over other people, but over yourself. Oh, that's a great quote. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, it is, it is, uh, I'm just amazed with what I accomplish now versus what I used to accomplish. Cool. So let's uh, issue a challenge to anybody listening to this podcast tomorrow, or if it's in the morning right now, you're finishing this up now, just take five minutes. And I think I'm just going to try the way you do it at first. Yeah. Just like focus on my breathing for five minutes and then maybe I'll work into other things that might work for me. Yeah. A simple way count your breaths and, and restart every time you hit 10. And so I like, I'll sometimes just set a goal, you know, to like basically count to 50, you know, and once count to 10, do it again, 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 and then I'm done. And that way you don't have to have a stopwatch. You don't have to, um, you know, you just have a really simple goal that is, you know, pretty achievable. You might even just say for a beginner, just count to 30. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and build it up as a habit cool all right so uh so we get the book the strongest mind in the room which yeah. i will definitely link to in the show notes but that's at what book.lift.do right correct and then the lift app itself which is available on basically every platform right web yeah. iphone android yeah and so, i have to my dentist is probably going to be happy with you and your team because lift is the reason i floss now so <laughs> I, I have this joke like i really want to um uh, keynote the American Dental Association's annual meeting. Lyft has helped floss more than 40 million teeth. And I just like, who has done more for flossing than me? And <laughs> me and the Lyft team, right? Yeah. So, like, I challenge you to name someone who's done more for oral health than we have. And like, <laughs> you can't, right? And you know, of course, I, like, I have no qualifications to speak at, uh, to dentists, but. Um, I I feel like uh, this is sort of the power of Lyft is you have like we can upstage this entire community of experts who are telling giving you a goal yeah and not making any progress at all and like we come along and accidentally 
help all of these people who thought like, well, here's a habit that I'm not forming that I wish I was. I might floss my teeth, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, so I'm glad. <laughs> uh, I'm glad that your dentist is happy. And uh, I'm glad that we've had some impact in your life. Yeah. Also, I think the other big one is uh, you got me going to bed at a good time. Because yeah. I really wanted to wake up early, and I have a I have a different system that helps me get up on time. Right. But I would be so tired because I wouldn't go to bed at a good like a decent time to get enough sleep. So I just put in bed by ten thirty on lift and started doing it. So now getting up at six is easy. Yeah. So it's pretty nice. But yeah, next time I'm at my dentist, I'm gonna tell him like start recommending lift to all yeah. your patients because we're not flossing, <laughs> but we could be. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, good. So we'll get all this stuff, and in the how to, we'll do the how to meditate link in the show notes too. This is lift.do slash meditation. Okay. And um, uh, and yeah, like not you know, of course, love to hear back from people on their experiences meditating uh, uh, for you know the purposes of being a better student. Definitely. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Tony. All right. Thank you, Thomas. All right. Well, I hope you got something useful out of that interview with Tony from Lyft and definitely check out the book, book.lyft.do. And also the app is amazing. It really helped me build some really strong habits. I, for example, I never flossed before I started using Lyft and now I floss every single day without fail. So definitely check the app out if you want to build some strong habits and also just try some of the things that we mentioned in this interview. I mentioned in the intro that I'm trying to meditate once per day for just about five minutes and it really is helping out. So if you have five minutes and you would like to increase your ability to focus and your mind strength, then just try that out. So in the intro, I made a reference and I told you I would let you know what the reference was if you didn't get it. So just to quickly get that out of the way, the reference was a Weird Al song called It's All About the Pentiums and it's from an older album. So if you've been listening to some of his newer stuff like like Tacky or Handy, uh, it's a bit of a the old school material, which is still good. So check it out if you haven't listened to it yet. All right. Um, just one more mention that if you have questions about college, email them to me, thomas at collegeinfogeek.com. We'll get those answered on those Q&A episodes. And if you're liking the show, if you're already subscribed and you would like to help it out in one more small way, then the best thing you can do is leave a review for the show on iTunes. And um, there's a tutorial on how to do that, which I've linked in the show notes. So if you want to leave a review, I've given you step-by-step instructions and it's very easy, but it really helps the show out. It helps bump the show up the rankings and it gets out to more people. And I would like to read a short review right now. It's from Brendan Story, who's actually from Australia. So thank you for this review, Brendan. And it's just simply great podcast, both informative and fun. And that's a short review. It's awesome. And if you want to leave something like that, then thank you so much. That would be awesome. Uh, one last shout out. As I said earlier, I'm making YouTube videos now, one video a week if I can manage it. And I'm partnering with my friend Matt from listenmoneymatters.com. He's also going to try to make a video every week. So we're going to keep each other accountable. We've got lots of awesome videos coming out on YouTube to help you out. Um, last week's video was on building strong habits with video game concepts using an app called Habit RPG. So check it out over at collegeinfogeek.com slash videos if you like. And we've got another video coming out this week on note-taking strategies. So if you're curious, check it out. And if you're not on the newsletter, you can find that over at collegeinfogeek.com slash newsletter. Sign up and you'll get a link every single Thursday to the latest video, latest podcast, latest blog post and you'll stay up to date. That is all I've got for this episode, so I will see you in episode 32. 
Thanks for listening to the College Info Geek Podcast. Grow your brain even more at www.collegeinfogeek.com.